Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and anything going on in your life that you'd love to get some biblical counsel and perspective on. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to answer those questions you have, and we'd love to pray for your prayer requests. So if there's something going on in your life that you'd like prayer for, this is the place to come. You can come in and uh, call in. You can text in, and we'll answer your prayer requests. We'll respond to them by praying for them on the air. And there are so many people tuning in right now, both online and over the air in different parts of the country and even around the world. And as we pray for those prayer requests, we all get to lift them up to the Lord together as a fellowship of believers. And that's a very powerful thing, very beautiful and cool thing. So we encourage you, call in with your prayer requests, call in with your questions. We can't wait to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line 720-336-0897. We want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and into Southern Wyoming here on Grace FM. Welcome to the program. You're hearing the show live today. It is Tuesday, July 20th, and I'm glad to be with you on this beautiful Colorado day. We also want to welcome those of you who listen on Hope FM on the East Coast in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program for those of you as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Just a reminder that those listening on Hope FM and Truth FM, you hear the show on a one-week delay. So we just want you to know that and be aware of it, but we don't want it to hinder you from calling in with your prayer requests and with your questions about the Bible, because we would love to hear from you and we'd love to um, answer those questions. So definitely give us a call and then consider it an opportunity that you have that knowing that your, your show will air a week later, that you get to tell a friend, tell a family member that you're going to be on the air at a certain time and on a certain station and that they get to tune in. And that will not only be an opportunity for them to hear the answer that was given to your question, but also it'll be an opportunity for them to get introduced to that Christian radio station, Hope FM or Truth FM, where you're listening to this program. And maybe they'll start tuning into this program, maybe to the other Bible teaching on the station there that you're listening on. And it's a it could be a great way to get them connected to Christian radio in their area and maybe to some local churches in their area. And who knows what God might do to use it to change their lives. So we, we get testimonies all the time of people for whom the station has been uh, changing their lives. And so we are excited to spread the news about that. So whether you're listening on um, Hope FM, Truth FM, or whether you're listening here live on Grace FM and online, we encourage you to spread the word about this program and the other Bible teaching on these stations. Good things God uses. You know, when his word goes forth, it never comes back void. It accomplishes the purpose for which he sends it out. 
So however you're listening today, we want to welcome you. We also welcome those of you who are listening online. Uh, increasing number of people listening on the app and on the website. If you don't yet have the Grace FM app, really encourage you to go do that. It's a free app that you can get on your your phone, your tablet. Just type in Grace FM as one word on your uh, device in the App Store or Google Play Store. It'll come right up. It's totally free. You put that on there, and you can listen anywhere in the world. And so we see it. we've got some listeners today in Europe, in Ukraine, and in England, for example. Um, but we also have a lot of listeners all over the U.S. So it looks like we've got listeners all the way up in, looks like, oh, wow, in the north, North Dakota, Montana, in Wyoming. We've got listeners in Minnesota. We've got listeners on in the Bay Area of California, Southern California, Dallas area, Santa Fe, and and uh, Albuquerque, New Mexico. There's listeners up and down the front range of the Rockies and in the Midwest, the East Coast. So we welcome all of you who are listening. We'd love to hear from you no matter where you're tuning in from or where you're listening from online. Give us a call. We want to hear your questions. And th again, this is a show where we answer your questions about the Bible. Maybe there's been something you've been reading in the Bible that you've always been curious about and wanted to get an answer to. This is a great place to call in with those questions. And if you have a prayer request, we are here to pray for your prayer requests on the air. So definitely give us a call with those. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, the text line, 720-336-0897. Well, we're starting to get some calls and texts coming in. But before we get to those, let me just introduce you to myself or say a few words about myself uh, to introduce who I am. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. And I am your host on Calvary Live every Friday, but today I'm filling in for Pastor Jeff Figs, who's your usual host on Tuesdays. And I'm glad to be here with you. Love hosting the show. It's such a privilege to pray for your prayer requests and to answer your questions on the air. Um, our church is located in Longmont, Colorado, and just some really great things happening these days at Whitefields. Love to have you come and join us if you are in the Longmont area or if you're in driving distance of Longmont. Come and join us on a Sunday morning. We have three services every Sunday morning at 8, 9.30, and 11 a.m. So 8, 9.30, and 11. The latter two services, 9.30 and 11, are services that have children's ministry. Our first service at 8 is a family service. We'd love to have you at whichever service you're available for. And you can also join us online. If you're not within driving distance of Longmont, we'd love to have you join us online. You can find directions. You can find um, past messages to listen to, all that good stuff on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. And the physical address for where you can join us on Sunday morning, if you're there, just jot this down, 2950 Colorful Avenue. That's 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont, Colorado. And we are just on the north side of Highway 119, which is the main highway from I-25 into Longmont and then down into Boulder. And so we're right in between I-25 and downtown Longmont, really conveniently located. If you're ever driving down 119, look to the north. If you're east of Longmont, look to the north, and you'll see our building. A big sign, can't miss it. We'd love to have you come visit us. We're just directly across the street, from, or across the highway there, from Sandstone Ranch Community Park, which is the big park here on the east side of Longmont. And we'd love to have you come and worship with us. So again, 
8 o'clock, 9.30, and 11 a.m. on Sunday mornings. We'd love to have you be part of what God is doing. We just started a new series this past Sunday, studying through the book of 1 Corinthians. So last Sunday, we talked about the foolishness of divisions in the body of Christ and how we are called to be united by the higher calling we have in Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about the power of God that is in the message of the cross. I can't wait to share this message. It's one that it's one of those messages that, uh, man, it's, it's one that people need to hear. And if you have friends or family members who need to hear the gospel message stated plainly and clearly, this is a good one to bring someone, invite someone to. So we'd love to have you. That's this coming Sunday at Whitefields Church, the church that I pastor. That's whitefieldschurch.com for more information. We have full lines now, so let's get on to our callers. Sandra in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Welcome to the program. Thank you. What can I do for you? The question I had was, knowing that God has all power over all things, um, why was it necessary for him to tell Satan that, you know, he can touch whatever Job has, but I'm trying to look for it again. Did he say, but he was not allowed to touch his soul? Was that it? I'm trying to find it again. Yeah, that's in Job chapter 1. Let's just right. look it up. I'll turn, turn there in my own Bible as well. Okay. And so, but... Okay, I mean, but if he did not have power over his soul, I could see God saying, you know, you can touch whatever he has. You're allowed to. But why did he have to put the stipulation about the soul? He couldn't cross that line anyhow, could he? True. Let, let's look at what it says. I'm reading from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Okay. Here's what it says. Verse 12, The Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your hand, only against him... Do not stretch out your hand. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. So, I mean, what it's saying is he wasn't allowed to take his life, right? He wasn't allowed to kill him. But he was allowed to basically take away everything he had, including his health. So right. it sounds to me like you might be reading from an old King James Bible, and that says, do not you know, touch his soul. Okay. I, I could look that up in the King James if you'd like, but... Okay, I think the, but I the, think that my question still remains, though. Yeah. If Satan didn't have control over his life or his soul, why would the stipulation have to be made? I mean, Satan would already know I can't kill him or I can't touch his soul, or does he? Well, does I think we're talking about, talking about two different things there, killing okay, somebody okay. and touching his soul. So I think that there are times when God allows the enemy to have the ability or to have that that room or let's say hmm, area of movement where he's able to take away someone's life right to end their life i think that that does happen mm. now, but that doesn't mean that he has control over that person's soul so that's why i would say i think this is probably a better translation that we're reading in like the english standard version that says you know against him do not stretch out your hand meaning you can't take his life So, so all that to say, um, I think this is a really important passage because what it shows us is that God is sovereign and even anything that Satan does to us has to pass through the permission of God. In other words, so Satan is not just, you know, we, we know that Satan's a roaming lion, right? Who's seeking who, whom he can devour. And yet, on the other hand, He's a lion with a collar around his neck, and there's a chain on that collar. Kind of like uh, my friends used to have this yard 
and they, they in the middle of their yard they had their dog this was when i lived in hungary by the way um and in the middle of their yard their dog was chained to a metal stake that was that was uh staked in in the middle of the yard so the dog could kind of go and do whatever he wanted but he could only go as far as the chain on the stake would allow him right and hmm. and this is really important because we know that god allows Satan to do these things for a few reasons. One of them is because God uses trials in our lives to accomplish things in us that could not be accomplished in any other way. We read that in like James chapter one. Count it all joy, brothers, when we experience trials of various kinds because God is using them to accomplish amazing things within us. Romans chapter five, we rejoice in our salvation, but we also rejoice in our trials because we know that God is using them in our lives to build character and build hope that will not disappoint us. And, and so what that means, and one of my favorite verses is found in, um, I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where it says that God has taken Satan and he has humiliated him. And you think the ultimate humiliation, you know, what they would do in the, in the old days in the Roman Empire, when they would attack, uh, let's say there was a battle against another warring city or you know, a horde that came against the Roman Empire, they would attack them, they would fight, and if the Romans won, what they would do is they would capture all those prisoners of war, they would chain them up, strip them naked, and make them march all the way back to Rome. And in every town and village they passed through, people would throw rotten vegetables at them, and they would jeer at them, and they would humiliate them. And essentially, God is saying that is what, or Paul is saying that is what God has done to Satan in Christ, that he, he is like a prisoner of war now. He's defeated, and the ultimate humiliation is that he is bound, and now he's only allowed to do what God allows him to do. So, I mean, that's the ultimate humiliation for Satan, that in the ways that he attacks us, God actually uses it for our good and for God's glory. Okay, I think I still got to wrestle with that one because I, okay. I I need to make sure I'm understanding it. All righty, you you do that, and uh, let me pray for you as you Thank you. as you do that. Let's pray right now, Lord. I pray for Sandra, and I pray that you would help her that as she wrestles through these truths, and and understands them as they go from her head down into her heart. Lord, help her that she be able to put them into practice. And that she would really, Lord, that you would guide her by your spirit to make sense of the things that she's reading, sense of the things she's experiencing in a way that reflects the truth of the gospel and the truth of your word. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you so much. Hey, thanks for your question. And keep reading no. the Bible. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air today. We've got one open line with the end of that call, so you can give us a call right now. The number is 303-690-3000, or text us 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Justin in Parker, Colorado. Hi, Justin. Welcome to the program. Justin, are you there? All right, we might have lost Justin, uh, but he did have a question. I can answer his question here on the air. Justin's question was, what is the best way to listen to God? Well, Justin, I would tell you the best way to listen to God is by reading the scriptures, by reading the Bible. 
Um, it's not the only way to listen to God, right? God speaks to us also through other believers uh, and through the gifts of the Spirit. And so it's really important, even as we read the Bible, that we don't do that even in isolation, right? We, the Christian life was never meant to be a solitary endeavor. We're supposed to do it along with the people of God. And, um, and that's one of the best ways that we hear from God, right? Is through the Word of God amongst the people of God. So I would encourage you, read the Bible, get involved in a church, have, uh, you know, be sitting under good biblical teaching. That's why I love Calvary Chapel and our churches. Our, our church, Whitefields, here in Longmont, is part of the Calvary Chapel family of churches. And what I love about Calvary Chapel is that that's what we do. We study through books of the Bible. Um, we generally study verse by verse and chapter by chapter. And our goal with that is to get the whole message of a particular passage in its context so that we're not imposing, but rather exposing what God's Word has to say so that we can understand it and believe it and respond appropriately. So, um, you know, I want you to sit under good biblical teaching. I want you to read the Bible on your own at home as well. And I want you to get involved in a community group, get, get involved in some way that you are um, with other people and God can use those gifts, those gifts of the Spirit that are talked about in 1 Corinthians 12, um, Romans 12, that includes gifts of teaching, but also gifts of prophecy, right? Which are words from God that encourage, edify, and bring comfort. And so, uh, yeah, what's the best way to listen to God? I guess I'll just summarize it by saying, by reading the Word of God together with the people of God. That's the best way. So, uh, we want to also have the Holy Spirit within us. It's only through the Holy Spirit that we can have our eyes open to the meaning of the Scriptures and really understand spiritual truths. But also, as you put your faith in Jesus, we're told in Ephesians chapter 1 and 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that God gives us His Spirit as a seal. And as the Spirit is in us and sealing us, the Spirit is also leading us and guiding us, is what Jesus told us in John chapter 16. So, Justin... Keep reading that Bible, get involved with the people of God, and let the Holy Spirit move in you and teach you, and um, you're going to be on the right track. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm taking your calls and texts live on the air. We're moving pretty quickly through our callers today. I believe we have one open line, though, so you can Give us a call and we'll get you on the air pretty quickly. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Pat in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the program. Hey, Nick. How you doing? Doing great. Pastor, I, I was just um, like your point of view on something. And um, I've heard pastors look at both sides, so I listen to you a lot, so I'm just interested in your perspective. When, G when Jesus raised Lazarus, it says uh, um, when he was talking with Martha, and then when Mary came, he's looking at all the people, and the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. Um, when he wept... If you look at the translation of the word uh, from the Greek, it's it, it says that it was anger. It, it was a it was like a, a weeping of anger. So the first question that comes to your mind is why would it be angry that these people are mourning? And I heard a couple of things. One, 
He was weeping because of their disbelief, because he said he was going to raise him. One, he was, the next one is he was weeping because uh, he was mourning with them. He felt bad with them. And the third one was he was weeping because he's looking around and he's seen what sin has done. And this is what sin causes. And I kind of lean towards the third one because of the translation. What's your take on it? Yeah, it's actually used twice in that passage, which I think is really interesting. That's correct. Yeah, yeah that word is used twice. I, I love teaching that passage. It's one of my, my go-to passages, you know, and especially for teaching on uh, Easter. But um, I'm just pulling it up right now. It says twice there. I'm trying to find the second one. But uh, the, the Yeah, it's when he's at the tomb. Mm -hmm. That's the second time he says it. Yeah, verse 38. Then Jesus deeply moved again. And that's the same right. word. That's verse 38. Deeply moved again. He says, take away the stone. So that's 38 and 39. And so twice there, it says that Jesus was emotionally moved. One time that he mm -hmm. wept. But the word that's used there, you're absolutely right. It insinuates that he's angry. In fact, it can even be translated as a growl, right? He growled, right. which I think that generally we think of Jesus weeping. We don't, we don't generally associate that with, um, with anger, frustration, um, growling. Mm -hmm. um, but I think you're absolutely right on that third point. But I do think there's an, there's an element of the second. You know, when people go through the um, process of grieving, you know, we, are, we sometimes talk about stages of grief. But one of the stages of grief is anger. And, and I think that this is um, what we're seeing with Jesus. He is, on the one hand, empathizing with these people who've lost somebody. And he's crying. Even though he knows Lazarus is going to be raised, I think he also knows that this is what sin does. Because here's the deal, that Lazarus, yes, he was raised, but it was only temporary. At some point later on in his life, Lazarus got sick again and he died again. And Jesus, he's, he's got this intense sense of mission, particularly in Luke's gospel. We, we read about that, that he's got this sense of mission that he set his face toward, as a flint towards Jerusalem, and he wouldn't be moved from moving towards the cross. And so I see that as well, that Jesus, on the one hand, he's empathizing with the anger over the death, he's, but he's, he's also upset and bothered and disturbed by the effects of sin in killing people. The people, you know, he essentially is saying, you know, when this is the this is the one by whom all things were created, we're told in Colossians chapter one. And you can imagine oh go ahead. Bible study and uh and it, it came up that I asked, you know, what causes death? And Interestingly, from the whole body of students that I was having the Bible study with, they said uh, cancer, car accident, this, uh, sickness, illness, uh, natural causes. And when I mentioned, no, what causes death in this world is sin. Uh, physical death it causes, because uh, God's intention when he made this world was that none of these things that you mentioned would exist. But because we live in a fallen world, sin causes all this. And it, create, it created quite a stir in, in the course. 
Um, but would you not agree? Sin is what's what causes all this. If there had not been a fallen uh, uh, Adam and Eve, none of this would be here. Oh, I absolutely wholeheartedly agree with you. Yeah. So, um, but no one thinks of it like that. Yeah, I mean that's that's what what we're talking about here. That's the whole narrative of the Bible, right? The Bible. We we often break it down in this very simple outline. This is what the Bible's about. This is the outline: creation, fall, redemption, restoration. So the result of the fall, he said, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now they didn't die immediately, but they began to die that day. Death death was born into the world, and they did eventually die. And in the very next chapter, of course, we see one brother killing another. We see death come into the world. And some people have hypothesized or uh, thought that perhaps the death of Abel was actually the first human death in history. And I, I agree with it, actually. And so we see it immediately happening. Death has now entered the world, and the reign of death is lasting up until the time of Jesus, right? The first one, the first fruits of those resurrected from the dead, having defeated sin and death. And Paul says this very clearly in Romans, right? That death is the fruit of sin, right? It's Sin causes death. Death is the, the curse, right? The curse of sin is death, is what he says. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm wholeheartedly in agreement with you. Um, and I yeah. would just add this, that as the creator of the world, right, we have Jesus, the one by whom all things were created, and apart from him, nothing was created that has been created, John 1. Mm -hmm. And right. he, here he is walking around the earth that he created, looking at the people he created, whom he loves, and he looks at them and he sees them dying, he sees them hateful, he sees them hurting each other, and how could he do anything but weep, right? He stands over Jerusalem and weeps. And, and I think it's, it's not just, I mean, it's, it's the whole thing. That God, it's, it's, man, I could go on about this for so long because in Genesis chapter 6, it says that God was grieved when he looked at the sin in the world, that the intentions of man's heart were only sin all the time. And it says he was grieved to the heart. And that phrase, grieved to the heart, is a Hebrew phrase that is only found in one other place in the Bible. It's found in the book of Isaiah, when it says that God was grieved to the heart like a young widow, who's, or not a young widow, a young woman whose husband has abandoned her. So in other words, the grief that God feels as he looks over sin and all of its effects in the world is that he's grieved to the heart, the deepest, cr most crushing sense of grief that you could feel like a woman whose husband has abandoned her. And, and here's what I love about the story of, of the Bible and the story of the gospel. There's this phrase that was used by a theologian. He said, the tears of God are the meaning of history. And what that means is that God looked at the world, and in spite of the fact that sin and all of its effects broke his heart, he chose to weep rather than to destroy us all, right? He chose to weep, and he chose wow. to redeem us rather than destroy us. And the tears of God are the meaning of history. Wow, that's great. 
Pastor, who, who stated that? Who, whose quote was that? Oh, I'm going to have to look it up. I have it written down uh, somewhere in my notes. I could probably find it during the break. How about I do that? We're going to uh, go to a break right now. Well, we're going to break okay. right now anyway. So I'm going to find it for you, and I'm going to say it on the air right after the, um, right after the break, okay? Pastor, thank you so much. As always, it's, it's a pleasure speaking with you. I always love your calls, Pat. God bless you. And I'll, I'll get that quote, the author of that quote for you right after the break. Thank you so much. God you bless bet. you as well. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. That takes us right up to our two-minute break. So in just a second here, you're going to hear the music. And that music will be the key to let you know that we're going to our two-minute break. There it is. And with that, uh, we have two open lines. We've got Sandy on hold. She's going to be on right after the break. We've got two open lines. We're ready to take your calls and pray for your prayer requests. Listen, or Respond to your texts. Give us a call, 303-690-3000. Text us, 720-336-0897. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. We are standing by looking forward to praying for your prayer needs. And we are here to answer those questions you have about the Bible and theology. Can't wait to talk to you. Give us a call. We've got two open lines right now, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us 720-336-0897. Hey, right before the break, we were talking to Pat in Greeley, and I read a quote, why well, I quoted a quote from memory, and he was asking who said the quote. So here's the quote, that the tears of God are the meaning of history. It's actually part of a longer section, but the person who said it was someone named Nicholas Wolterstorff. Wolterstorff. So his name is spelled kind of strange. Here's his last name, L, uh, sorry, W-O-L-T-E-R-S-T-O-R-F-F. But if you just search that phrase in Google, the tears of God or the meaning of history, click on some of the links because you'll find the longer section of the, the quote. And um, I, I think it's a beautiful um, truth, you know, that God, rather than, than destroying us in judgment, chose to redeem us by giving himself for us. He chose to weep so that one day we could be redeemed in him. So, um, that was that. Let's go to our next caller, Sandy in Oklahoma. Hi, Sandy. Welcome to the program. Hi. My question's about marriage. I've been living with um, this guy for two years, and we're devoted to each other. And he's financially stable. He's got good credit. And I had a business that went under, so I have really bad credit. So we've been worried about getting married because of that. But... I don't know. We want to make it right with God, and I don't know if that means we have to get married and through the state, or if we have to have a ceremony, or we have a godly marriage, if that suffices. I just don't know what the right thing to do is. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'm, I'm, I think it's a really honorable thing that you guys want to be right before God, and so I, I just want to encourage you in that. 
that that's a that's a great thought to have and thing to pursue. So I would encourage you that you should get married and have a ceremony, and you should do it legally. And I think there are a few reasons for that. But just remember that marriage is an institution which was created by God, but it's also one of the institutions that has been brought under the the state, which is another institution of God, actually, the human government, right? We read in Romans 13 that God created human governments and except for the cases in which they are actually oppressing and pushing people away from God, we're to submit to them as instruments of God in our lives for our good. And so what that means is this, um, that God honors legal marriage, and to be married legally is actually to be married, right? So that's why, let's say you lived in a country where, let's say marriage was illegal, which there aren't any countries like that, but let's imagine there were then the Christian church would do marriage ceremonies still because this is a this is a biblical institution designed by God but in every state where the church does marriages we also do them we all, they are also recognized legally and that that's actually how it started that the church was doing marriage or the people of God were doing marriage and then the government came to recognize those marriages nowadays it's been kind of flipped around hasn't it where Nowadays, we see marriage primarily as a legal institution as opposed to a, let's say, a theological one or a godly one. So my advice to you would be that um, you should get married legally and that you should also get right with God. Ideally, you know, I was, I'm going to give you a few things about how to get right with God. One of those would be, I would really encourage you guys to get involved in a church and a church that teaches the Bible. If you uh, need some recommendations of good churches. Um, I'm sure I could help you with that as well. But get involved in a good church that teaches the Bible and um, also pursue getting married, either through the church or in some cases where I've had couples who start coming to my church and they're not married and maybe they're worried about money. And they've said, you know, we can't afford a, a big wedding yet, but we'd like to. You know, we want to do something special with our, our families, etc., I say, okay, let's just get married right now legally, and then you can have the big ceremony and celebration once you've saved up your money, but you're living as married couple right now, and I think the right thing to do before God is to actually get married legally. So I've even okay. gone with some couples, and we've had our church pay for their fee so that they can get married legally, and then um, we counsel them as a married couple, etc. So, So go ahead. What were you going to say? Okay, that's exactly what I needed to hear. So thank you so much. Yeah, Sandy, I'm glad to hear that. Um, let me recommend a book for you. If you um, okay. are looking for something good on marriage, I love this book by Timothy Keller. So Timothy Keller, and it's called The Meaning of Marriage. Okay. And one of the things oh, yeah. he talks about there in that book is that some people would say, hey, isn't marriage, I mean, why do I need a paper from the state that says that I'm married? Can't I just love this person? And he says, uh, he goes into more detail, but one of the things I think he's really interesting is that he says, you know, in a way, having that piece of paper from the state is actually more romantic, it's more truly loving than not having it. Because when you have it, what you're saying is, I am closing every back door, every avenue towards separating from you that exists, right? I'm binding myself to you not only with my spoken commitment, but even with a legal commitment. 
And that's really what's at the heart of marriage is saying, I'm no longer my own, but we belong to each other. We are one. Okay. Thank you so much. That helps. Cool. God bless you, Sandy. You too. All right. Bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. So once again, the call-in number, 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. Well, we had awful lines for most of the show, but now we've gone through all of our callers, which means that we have all open lines right now. If any of you out there uh, had a question or a prayer request that you wanted to have answered on the air, now would be a great time for you to call in or to text us, and we'll get those things on the air. We have a text question that came in that I want to address. Um, This person says, Hi, my name is Jessica. My question is, were there really two wives of Adam, including one named Lilith? Thank you. Okay, so Jessica, good question. Um, you know, when I was younger, I remember in like the the late 90s, uh, early 2000s, there was this thing going around called the Lilith Festival. And it was like an alternative rock festival um, with all female bands and musicians. And I remember at that time being like, what is a Lilith Festival? And I remember hearing from somebody that Lilith was the wife of Adam before he was married to Eve. And, um, and she's not mentioned in the Bible, or maybe she is, and that was just all I heard. And I was like, whoa, that's a weird story. So then I, I was able to go and look into it, and I would encourage you to look into it as well. But here's the long and short of this, is that there are some legends out there that Adam had a wife before Eve who was named Lilith. Uh, again, this is not found in the Bible, and the legends are really, they vary a lot. So there's a lot of variation in them. But they all essentially say that Lilith left Adam because she did not want to submit to him. So in um, some circles, right, the Lilith myth is popular because it's an example of a woman refusing to submit to male leadership. And so she's kind of portrayed as a hero for, you know, not um, submitting to Adam, but going off and doing her own thing and leaving him. And so... According to these legends, uh, Lilith um, committed, some of the legends say that Lilith committed adultery with Satan and produced a race of evil creatures. Now again, no biblical basis whatsoever for this. There's no one in the Bible named Lilith. There is an interesting um, little bit of evidence that some people try and grab onto, and that is that one translation of the Bible which is the NRSV translation, says in Isaiah 34, verse 14, Lilith shall repose. That's a, it's a weird thing to say. What is, even is a Lilith? Well, it's, um, they're using an old English word for a screech owl. Right? A screech owl, I guess in old English, can also be referred to as a Lilith. A creature of the night is another way it's translated. And so... All other translation of the Bible actually translate that as owl or night creature. Um, but the point is that even if that is like the first name of, of someone, uh, nowhere is it ever mentioned that Adam 
was married to somebody named Lilith at all. So uh, one of the other kind of common myths about Lilith is that Genesis 1, you know, in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, we have two different accounts of the creation of the world. And some people say, see, Genesis 1 was like the first creation of the world, and that's when God created Lilith, and Adam was married to Lilith, and then something happened, and then in Genesis 2, God created another woman, and that was Eve. Now this, again, totally ridiculous. This has never been like thought to be... Um, thought to be like a, a real thing um, by anybody ever in like Jewish history or Christian theology. Rather, what we have in Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 with the two accounts of creation, Genesis 1 is kind of like the zoomed out version, right? Like the, the big picture. And Genesis 2 is the zoomed in version, the details of the creation. So uh, I hope that answers your question um, as to what is the deal with this myth out there about Lilith. Um, I found the whole thing interesting myself to look into because, again, I, had, I remembered hearing about the Lilith Festival and stuff like that in the late 90s. And so, um, so yeah, good question, and glad we could answer that one for you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. We have... Uh, all open lines right now, and the number to call is 303-690-3000. Call us with your questions about the Bible. Call us with your prayer requests. We want to pray for you. We want to answer the questions you have, so give us a call and send us a text. 303-690-3000 is the call-in line, and the text line is 720-336-0897. We have a follow-up question that was just texted in. Someone says, Hi, Pastor Nick. On the earlier call about how God was grieved and his heart was broken um, by sin and death, if he knew that this would happen, which he did know, why would he create mankind in the first place when so much suffering and death would happen? This is becoming an unfortunately popular question among doubters of the faith. Thank you, faith, faith. Thank you and God bless. Hey, great question. That is one of the big questions that people ask. If God knew that there would be so much pain and hurt in the world, then why would he bother creating mankind in the first place? And there's a very, very simple and good answer for that, is because th- this gets back to the idea that the tears of God are the meaning of history, that God knew that he would, by bringing people into the world, he knew that they would rebel against him and that this would break his heart it would be a knife through his heart, and yet he did it anyway. Why? Because it was worth it for him. He considered it worthwhile that he might save some. And, and here's what it says in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross and despised its shame. In other words, what is that joy that was set before Jesus? It is the prospect of spending eternity with those whom he would save. And friends out there listening, I just want to say, I hope that that is you. I hope that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ for your salvation in what he did for you. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God to salvation for all who believe. And I hope that that is you today. God allowed himself to suffer the pain that came through 
sin because of the prospect of spending eternity in heaven. He said that would bring him so much joy. And he finds joy in saving us and spending eternity with us. That's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, another thought on that is just Matthew 13, the, the parable of the treasure hidden in a field. You know, he said a man um, found treasure hidden in a field. He went out and sold everything he had. In his joy, he went out and sold everything he had to purchase that field so that he could have the treasure in it. Who is the man in that story? Well, in the previous parable, it says the field in the previous parable represents the earth. So who is it who has purchased the earth at great cost, yet with joy in his heart in order to make the treasure in the field his own? That is God. That is what he has done for you. And it means, therefore, that God treasures you so much that he gave his life for you. That's the great news of the gospel. Let's go to our next caller, Dalton in Fort Collins, Colorado. Hey, Dalton, welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick, how are you doing today? Doing great. Uh, I just had a question, on a follow-up question a little bit on Lilith mm-hmm. and everything. Um, <clears throat> have you ever seen or heard of the TV series, uh, The Chosen? So I have heard of it, and I watched half of an episode. So I know that it's very popular, but I haven't watched the show. I mean, I find it very good, and I think it, uh, in my opinion, it depicts Jesus in a very tangible way, and I think it's just amazing. But uh, I guess I don't know how much you'll be able to answer the question without knowing too much, but either way, um, so one of the characters in it is Mary, I believe she's supposed to be Mary Magdalene, and I, uh, but anyways, in her past life, she was named Lilith, and so I was just curious is as to if there was any kind of correlation why they might have named a character Lilith at some point in her past life or whatever and all that kind of stuff. So, Yeah, wow, I did not know about that. Um, it is interesting. I would say that that clearly doesn't have any biblical background or basis. I mean, you're not going to find that in the Bible anywhere. But um, perhaps there were some legends. But, you know, there's also, I I know in that first episode, they talked about Mary who had been possessed by demons. And that's actually mentioned in the Bible. Uh And that she had been cleansed of these demons by Jesus. Now, perhaps what they're saying, therefore, is that one of these demons was associated with Lilith or called Lilith. Um, I could see that happening, you know, basically what they're doing is associating the name Lilith with some kind of demonic thing. Um, but that's definitely not the same as the, the Lilith legend about the uh, about Adam's supposed former wife. Gotcha. I, I mean, I kind of figured because that show does, you know, have a little bit of a like a little bit of a drama. Because like... Uh, for example, I don't want to ruin too much for it, but, you know, uh, Simon Peter uh, has a wife in it and everything like that. And as far as I know, there's not really a whole lot of talk about Simon having uh, a wife before he followed Jesus, as far as I knew. Well, uh, we, do know, we do know that Simon did have a wife. I mean, okay. clearly... It, Simon Peter had a wife, and we know that because it says in one of the Gospels, I'll have to look up which one, 
but it says um, that he went to the house of Simon, healed Simon's mother-in-law. There's only one way to have a mother-in-law that I know of. And so it's generally accepted that Simon Peter was married prior to um, following Jesus. So right, that, okay. that particular well, that, one that probably isn't too much too, of a stretch. But I guess more I was trying to say is uh, just that they went on a little bit with Peter's personal life just to kind of give it a character-building kind of aspect. So it would make sense by Mary when she was possessed by demons, was called the, just to build a kind of a, a character more than anything else. Yeah, I see. But hey, by the way, the passage I was referring to is in Luke 4, verses 38 through 41. But, um, okay. yeah, thanks for the call. It's, a, it's pretty interesting. Again, obviously, they're taking some artistic license with that, and I know that's why some people dislike the show. Personally, I think that it's, it's fine. We, we can have art, and any form of art will take artistic license, but we do need to be pretty careful. Right, yeah, and all in all, in my opinion, I think the show is actually pretty uh, good depiction of who Jesus Christ is, and I think that's the main point. Right on. Cool. Hey, thanks for your call, Dalton. Yeah, I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. Hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Katie. We've got nine minutes left in the show, and uh, we've got uh, all full lines once again, so let's go to our next caller, Rick in Colorado. Hi, Rick. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick. Thanks for having me, buddy. Um, sure. just want to say thanks for doing what you do for the kingdom. It's awesome. Oh, my pleasure. It's a joy. It is a joy. So I, I have a question for you. You've probably encountered once or twice in regard to some of the uh, Gospels that were left out of our traditional Bibles today, such as, you know, more specifically the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. Mm-hmm. Um, my question to you comes more from a place of trying to understand. So my girlfriend's amazing, loves Jesus, but, you know, she's been reading more about this Gospel of Mary Magdalene, and I just wanted to get your opinion, whether you've read it, I've never read it, um, but just wanted to kind of get your viewpoint since you're uh, very intelligent and well, uh, well-versed in Scripture in regard to opening something like that up that has been left out for certain reasons mm-hmm. and trying to use that to push forward in faith. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I don't think that there's any um, reason to read it. I think there there's a slight danger. I don't think that there's any mystical sense of danger in reading it. The Let me explain to you why I would think it's probably not worth your time to read it. And perhaps, you know, for the wrong person, it could be could be potentially what I would say maybe dangerous. Okay, so we're talking about what this falls in the category of what's called New Testament Apocrypha, which means books that were not included in the canon of Scripture, which is what we call the books that we have in the Bible, you know, the kind of the closed canon, right? The books that we consider to be the canon, which means it's the Greek word for rule, as in ruler, right? Like we have a ruler that tells us how big an inch is. And the Bible, in that sense, is the rule of faith in which it is the standard by which we determine what is true and what is not true in regard to God and the gospel and Jesus, etc. So uh, the, the formation of the New Testament canon is something that I dealt with a lot recently over on my website and on my podcast. So I would just tell you, Rick, um, I did two podcast episodes on this. And I'm going to be able to go into much more detail on those podcast episodes than I am in just the few minutes that we have here on the phone. 
So I'd really um, encourage you and anyone else out there, go and listen to those two episodes in which I explain the formation of the New Testament canon, including why some books were not included in the New Testament canon and others were. There's a whole series of criteria. It's not just one thing. But yeah. uh, with the Gospel um, of Mary Magdalene in particular, I can tell you why it's not in the New Testament. And I'll do that right now. Okay, so the reason is because some of the books, I have read the Gospel of Thomas. I haven't read the Gospel of Mary Magdalene. But they're kind of related in the sense of they're what we call Gnostic pseudographs. Now, I know that might just be like, what are those words? Okay, Gnosticism was an early heresy, which sometimes was loosely based on Christianity. Sometimes it was just its own thing. But basically it said that there was this secret knowledge out there that you had to attain in order to be saved. And, and of course it was not Christian. And so Christianity and Gnosticism were always kind of at odds with each other. Christians saying, no, 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 that's not what the Bible teaches. And Gnosticism saying, you know, trying to get to believe in this kind of mystical religion thing. And so what they would do to kind of legitimize Gnosticism is that they would write what are called pseudographs. So a pseudograph would be like, if I wrote a letter and I signed it, Abraham Lincoln, and then I sent it to the newspaper and said, hey, look, I found a letter written by Abraham Lincoln. And they would be like, oh, wow. But in reality, I'm the one who wrote the letter, and I just tried to make it seem like I was Abraham Lincoln. And the ways that you would know that it was Abraham Lincoln or not, right, is that you'd read it, and if there are things in it that we call anachronisms, an anachronism is something which gives away the fact that this letter was not written in 1860 by Abraham Lincoln, but was written in 2021 by Nick Cady, right? There'd be things like, if I mention my Tesla and my iPhone, obviously those didn't exist back then, right? So um, we're able to know a few things. One of the things is we know that basically the Gospel of Mary Magdalene was written to validate or, or give validity to, in an attempt to give validity to a heresy, Gnosticism, to Christians by writing a pseudograph, a letter which seemed like it was written by Mary Magdalene, when in effect it was written 200 years after Mary Magdalene died, and was not actually written by Mary Magdalene. And there are things in it that give away the time period in which it was written. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense, and, and I'm on board with your opinion on that, and you helped put the, uh, the words to it to help me you know, talk about this further in depth. So that's definitely much appreciated. And, and her main approach is saying, you know, Mary, who was with Jesus probably the most out of you know, his circle of people at the time, why would nothing have been written from her and that it contained, like, uh, information about the spiritual feminine feminism of the of the spirit and all that stuff so i'm trying to just understand rather than speak loosely <laughs> if that makes sense yeah yeah and, and here's like i guess the reason i would say that it's dangerous if it is dangerous and here's why because this letter was written to propagate heresy and it's written as a pseudograph so it's written to be deceptive right and so um, I just think that why would you read something that, that 
portrays itself as being true, but is written in a deceptive way, I think that we don't want anything to do with that kind of stuff. So I wouldn't recommend anybody to read it unless you're reading it from a purely academic standpoint, but it doesn't sound like she is. Correct, sir. You're, you're right. Right on the point there. So I will, I'm going to uh, tune into your podcast. Okay, so I'll just give you the info real quick. The podcast is called Theology for the People. You can just look it up in your podcast apps. Uh, Theology for the People. And that episode was about the formation of the New Testament canon. There's two parts. And you can also find it on my website, nickkd.org. So thanks so much for the call, Rick. God bless you. Thank you. God bless right. you. Bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Katie. We are right up at the end of our show. We've got two minutes left. Let's just jump over to our last call, Joseph in Wheat Ridge. Hi, Joseph. Uh, we've got one minute to talk, so we've got to be fast. I understand. I understand. So real quick, so, you know, the Bible speaks about Satan being the prince of the air, meaning that he has some type of authority, correct? Some authority, yes. So when he gets thrown into hell for an eternity, is that his punishment, or does he have authority in hell also? Nope, that's into the lake of fire, and in the lake of fire, he will be destroyed perpetually for eternity. So in that place, he will have no power whatsoever. So so there's no kingdom in hell? Like, you know, some there's a worldly saying like, you know... All right, so there's, I'm going to like have to cut you, off, cut you off real quick. Uh, there is no kingdom in the lake of fire, which is the ultimate judgment of hell. You can read about it at the end of Revelation. But for now, we got to go. I'll be with you again on Thursday, but tune in every weekday for Calvary Live. And for more information about me and the church I pastor, check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. God bless you. Have a great evening. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.